and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. In the mid-20th century, Bishop K.C. Pillai traveled from India to England and, and the United States to teach people about Eastern customs and idioms in the Bible, back at that time referred to as Orientalisms. Um, Bishop Pillai Carnum C. Pillai, I won't even try to pronounce what the C stands for, but Bishop Carnum C. Pillai was born and raised in India and as a young child was converted to, from Hinduism to Christianity. And having grown up in that culture, he had a great understanding of those Eastern customs and idioms that you find in the Bible. He dedicated his life to doing that. He had a doctorate in divinity, um, and he was a bishop in the Indian Eastern Orthodox Church, and he spent the last 20 years of his life, primarily in the United States, teaching those. I'd like to read an incident that he has. We have a couple of his books. Um, this one's in the bookstore, Eastern Customs and Idioms of the Bible. This one's not readily available, it's out of print, um, but I'd like to read an incident from it where he describes when he did first go to England to begin teaching this. When I left India for England, I did not know a single soul in that land. I had written to a Christian boarding house and requested a room. I had asked for someone to meet me when I arrived and told them I would pay the expenses. Everyone on the ship spoke only discouraging words. One said, there would be no one to meet me. Another told me, the English would not accept me unless I had someone to introduce me. But I would not listen to them because I knew that nothing comes from God which negates his promises. One day, a postcard came to the ship for me. The boy who brought it to me had already read it. It was from the Christian boarding house, and they informed me that they did not have a room to reserve for me, and therefore would be unable to send anyone to meet me. <laughs> the boy reminded me of what they had been telling me. He also made some disparaging remark about the dependability of the Christian people. I didn't listen to him. I do not believe God closes one door unless he opens another. The God who performed miracles in India for me would be with me in England. With this conviction out of experience, I was not troubled. After the boat arrived, the train was loading up to take everyone to London. I would not get on it. Everyone was rushing about with passports in order to catch the train. I stood to one side of the harbor praying, Lord, I will wait until you open another door for me. A policeman came to me and said, this is the last train, you'd better get on. I didn't say anything to him. 
I just stood there lifting my heart to God. Then I opened my Bible and my eyes fell on Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I said, thank you, Lord. I am still. I am not disturbed or afraid. I will not follow what my senses tell me, but I will follow what you tell me. Soon an officer of the docks came and saluted me. He asked me if I was Reverend Pillai. When I told him I was, he led me to a telephone. On the other end of the line was an Englishman who had lived in Madras for 30 years as a government official. He knew my name and I knew his, but we had never met. He had retired three years before and had settled down in London with his family. He'd been getting newspapers from Madras every week and read that I would be going to England. He kept the paper, and on that day I arrived, he called the doc. He invited me to come straight to his house. He said, I and my family will be glad to have you. We'll cook Indian food for you and take care of you. When I left the phone, God had held the train up for me. (laughs) 800 passengers were already aboard. As soon as my foot was in the door, the train moved. (laughs) <laughs> the same boys were on the train who had spoken so discouragingly to me on the boat. Mm-hmm. When I relayed my story to them, they were overjoyed with me. Mm-hmm. They carried my baggage for me. <laughs> After arriving in London, I took a taxi from the train station to the people's house. There, I was received with open arms. Mm-hmm. The Lord opened another door for me, and from there, he opened another and another. Mm, Isn't that great? Quite a miracle. Quite a miracle when you think about all the things involved in God meeting that need. Mm. And none of that would have happened if Bishop Ply had freaked out. Mm -hmm. If when he was on the ship and the news had gotten to him that here on his way to travel to a place he knew no one, there was no one to meet him, there was no place for him to stay. Put the shoe on the other foot, okay? Imagine yourself traveling to India right now and arriving and finding out <coughs> there's no place for you to stay. There's nobody there to meet you. You're a stranger in that culture and you don't have a smartphone and the internet to help you. That was the situation. But God knew when God took care of him. He stayed calm. He stayed calm. He didn't panic. He didn't get all concerned. He didn't get all upset. He didn't worry about it. He stayed calm. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 46, where that verse is. This is the verse that he read. This is what he thought about and what he lived by. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. When we do that, when we're still and know that God is God, then we can weather the crises that arise, the things that come up. We can handle those things that otherwise would shake people. There's some tremendous keys in what he did. And we're going to look at that, the keys to weathering those situations, the keys to calming the storms of life. Mm -hmm. 
We'll look at the context that that verse is in, be still and know that I am God. We begin in verse 1. To the chief musician of the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not be fear, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. No matter what happens, tornado, earthquake, hurricane, you name it, we won't be afraid. Verse 3. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make, the, make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. That's one of those verses that I always think you, you have to have a southern accent to really do it right. You know? God will help her in that right early. Just like all the ones that are. Well, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not to be compared. That's me of Arkansas. Verse 6. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. In the midst of all of those things, in the midst of natural disasters, in the midst of wars, in the midst of anything that would come up, be still and know that I am God. Mm. Verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. That same God who did all of those things for Israel, that same God who did the great miracles by the hand of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, that did all the great miracles in the book of Acts, that same God is our God. And you know what? He's still in business. He's still today able and willing to do great things for his people. Look at Mark chapter 4. We need to be still. To be still and know that God is God. And that phrase, be still, reminds me of another time where that phrase is used. Hmm used in a very literal sense of calming a storm, and that's in Mark chapter 4, in verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he, speaking of Jesus Christ, saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other, unto the other side. And when, the he, and when they had sent away the multitude, multitude they took him, even, took him even as he was in the ship. And there was also with them other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. <laughs> Here's the storm, and the waves are, are so great the, the, that they're filling the ship with water. And he, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. So when my wife tells me that I'll sleep through anything when a storm's going on, I'm in good company. Yeah. 
And, the, and, <clears throat> and they said unto him, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? <laughs> and isn't that exactly what you get whenever something's happening that's some danger and you're not freaked out? Don't you care? Don't you know? Don't you realize how serious this is? That's what they're saying to him. Verse 39. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, what? Peace be still. Peace be still. Jesus Christ gets up. He's not freaked out. He looks at that wind. He looks at the sea. And he says, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great what? Calm. calm. A great calm. He calmed the sea with his words. Mm-hmm. And he said unto them, Gee, I'm, I'm so glad you woke me up. This was terrible. I can't believe I was sleeping through it. So why are you so fearful? Why are you freaked out? Why are you so afraid? He didn't sympathize. He didn't say, oh gosh, I don't blame you guys for being afraid. That, that was really scary. Because they should have known. They should have known that God was there and they didn't need to be afraid. Why are you fearful? How is it that you have no faith, no believing? (laughs) We need to believe. We need to believe. We need when we're faced with crises, when we're faced with dire situations, we need to trust God and believe that he's there and that he will take care of us and not react to that situation. Verse 41. And they feared exceedingly <laughs> and said to one another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What manner of man is this? Well, he was a manner of man who trusted God. Yes, he was the only begotten Son of God, but any Son of God can do the same. Any Son of God can operate that same power. Now, that doesn't mean that every time a storm comes up that you're going to do that same exact thing he did in that situation. That was God's direction to him in that situation. Other times, God handled it differently. Paul was on a, in a very similar situation in the book of Acts where he was on a ship, and there the revelation wasn't for him to calm the storm. It was instead to do other things, and when he listened, God took care of him. How God will handle it, that'll vary. But that he'll handle it, that won't vary. If you trust him, you can always count on God to see you through. There's times when we find ourselves troubled and perhaps frightened by the storms of life. Times when we feel like we're going to sink in the sea of crisis. Times when we feel like we may be drowning in our own failures. Times when we feel like we're lost in the wilderness of sin. And we can't can't find a way out no matter how hard we try. I've been in quite a few literal storms in the course of my life. Including some tornadoes and hurricanes. And through those times, God always saw me through. And for some reason, maybe it's just, maybe it's believing, but actually I, part of it's just 
it's the, kind of my nature. I wasn't freaked out even when I didn't have a good reason to believe. Those things pretty much never really shook me. But some of the storms of life are even scarier than those literal storms. And sometimes that's difficult. One that really shook me um, goes back to the time that my second grandchild, Mackenzie, was born. I can tell the story because she's not here. I asked her mother's permission because it involves her. And she said, well, it'll be okay because Mackenzie's not here, so she won't be upset by it. Mackenzie was a large baby. How big, Grace? 10 pounds, 11 ounces. 10 pounds, 11 ounces. 10 pounds, 11 ounces. And Grace, um, like the other two children, had Mackenzie with natural childbirth. And so there's some believing for you. (laughs) During the birth, we were, Loretta and I were there at the family waiting room outside. Mike was with Grace. And we were in that family waiting room and, you know, all excited and anxiously awaiting the arrival of our second grandchild, this little girl. And we were so excited. And in a moment, that joy and excitement just changed because a doctor came no a doctor didn't come Mike came and reported to us that things had all of a sudden really gone badly Grace was preeclampsic that's the word preeclampsia is the term and if you're not familiar with that and she was at that point severely suffering from severe preeclampsia yeah, preeclampsia, you know, the pre is the prefix for eclampsia. Preeclampsia is a very, very serious condition. Eclampsia is a fatal one. And I knew that because we had just watched this stupid show about a week before that, Downton Abbey, where one of the lead characters was killed. You're watching the show, and, and here's the birth, and everybody's excited, and the next minute, she's just, every, the room changes. And the doctor becomes, all of a sudden, you know, really, really concerned, you know, really tense. And then she goes into seizure and she dies. And that stupid thing flashed into my head, that stupid Uh. scene. And it's like, no. And I knew that I had to immediately grab a hold of my mind. I had to immediately grab my mind and shut that out and quiet my mind. And instead, focus on God. Be still and know that I am God. And Loretta contacted a couple people to have them get word out to pray. And I went to the hospital chapel where I could just be alone and quiet, and I prayed. And I just thanked God and prayed and brought to my mind all the great scriptures, the promises of God's word. Loretta was doing the same. I know Mike being there with her was, and I knew Grace was fighting not just physically, but mentally as well. Well, thankfully, it all turned out great. Grace is fine. Mackenzie's fine. She's just she's at a birthday party today. That's why she's not here. And she's now six years old. And God will always turn those storms around, not just the physical ones, 
but the storms of life so long as we continue to trust in him. Be still. That word still comes from a Greek word, mao, and it means to close the mouth with a muzzle. That word be still. That's literally what it means. To close the mouth with a muzzle, to muzzle, is used metaphorically to stop the mouth, make speechless, reduce to silence, to become speechless, to be kept in check, to muzzle. You know, do you ever, you know what a muzzle is? You, have, you, got, you got a dog that wants to bite you, you know, you muzzle them. You're smart. It's used in Matthew, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read off a couple of few references to you. It's used in Matthew 21, verses 12 and 34, where in those places it's translated speechless and to silence. It's used in Mark 1.25, translated, hold thy peace. In Luke 4.35, it's also translated, hold thy peace. In 1 Corinthians 9.9 and in 1 Timothy 5.18, it's translated muzzle, as in do not muzzle the ox which treadeth the corn. That's the word. And it's also used in 1 Peter 2.15, put to silence. There are times when we're in situations where we need to muzzle ourselves. Maybe, maybe muzzle your mouth so you don't say something that's only going to work against you. But certainly there's times where we need to just talk to ourselves and tell ourselves, stop it. Stop it. Get a hold of yourself. You know, Talk to our minds and say, be quiet. Be still. To not let those situations just freak us out, but to just put it on hold, to just quiet that all. Look at First Kings, no, First Psalm one, Psalm one hundred seven, Psalm one hundred seven. Here's another reference to quieting the storm. In Psalm one hundred seven. And in verse 29, it says, He, meaning God, maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are what? Still. God makes the waves a calm. He makes the storm a calm, so the waves are still. Still. Just picture those two things. Picture just the, the power of the ocean and how scary that can be. One of those times where it was a, a storm. I was out on, shortly after we moved here, we lived on the lake. Um, that's a whole story in itself, where God opened doors for us. But Loretta and I, and our, at that time, three-year-old daughter, Lindsay, were out on the lake, and it went from a beautiful day to all of a sudden a storm. And we're in a canoe, in <laughs> a canoe. You know, not, you don't want to be out on the lake in a storm with anything, but especially a canoe. <laughs> And we just trusted God and got there, got back. God, he can make that, that sea a still water. Look at First Kings chapter 19. When the storms hit and we're tempted to be afraid, it's so important in those situations to remain calm, to be still. To be still and know that God is God. 
And it's so important to be still if we're going to hear God's voice. In 1 Kings 19, this is a record that's talking about the great prophet Elijah. And Elijah, he's, he's believed through a lot of great things, a lot of you know situations where it shook, certainly shook us. But you know, the toll of it all, kind of, the, the, the effort, the, the years now that he had been fighting against these situations and people trying to kill him and all this stuff, it took its toll. And one day he goes and he sits under a juniper tree and asks God to just be done. He wants to just lay down and go to sleep and not get up. To be done for good. To just die. And God just patiently works with him. And he takes him from that spot to another, and to another. And then this record in chapter 19, verse 11, where God talks to him. And he, God, said to Elijah, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break it in pieces, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. That's where the Lord was. He was in that still, small voice. And he spoke to Elijah. And he so comforted Elijah and encouraged him and gave him guidance and direction of what to do. God will do that when we are still. We have to be still because God's voice is a still, small voice. It's not the booming, thunderous voice you know, that you see in the movies. It's a still, small voice. A still, small voice. Where God will tell us whether we should get up and say to that storm, peace be still, or whether we should stay on the ship, even though that seems to make no sense and everybody else wants to launch the lifeboats because the way to survive is to stay on it and then everybody will be safe like it happened with Paul in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. God will give us direction in those situations. What do I do? There you are, you're in that situation and you think, what do I do? Be still and know that I am God. And then you'll know. Look at John chapter 8. You see the same principle operated by the Lord Jesus Christ in a very different situation. In John chapter 8, this is a record that's well known to most, just about everybody, even if they never read it, they've heard about it. And we're not going to read the whole record, it's the one that ends with well, we'll read that far. Eight, John 8, verse 2 will begin. And early in the morning, he, Jesus, came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that, that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? 
You've got to picture this scenario and the way that it, it went down. Here he is in the temple, early in the morning. I always pray that I don't have to deal with anything early in the morning. But there's Jesus early in the morning, and he's teaching the people. And in the middle of his teaching, in the middle of his teaching, earlier than now, these guys come barging in, interrupt his teaching, take this woman and throw him. When they said, said, it's a very, actually strong word. They throw him at his feet and say, this woman was taken in adultery, caught in the very act. Now, they're not asking him this stuff because they want to know really what they should do. They're tempting him. They say, Moses said, stone her, but what do you say? What do you say? Moses said we should stone her to death. But you're always talking about this love and this forgiveness stuff. You're always talking about this mercy stuff. So the law says we should kill her. But what do you say? You see, the, the, they, they think they've got him. They, because if he says, well, Moses says, stone her, then stone her. Then he's, oh, well, where's all this forgiveness? Where's all this mercy? Where's all this love you're talking about? And on the other hand, if he says, well, we should, we should, God's a God of mercy and forgiveness. We should, we should forgive her. Then they'll say, oh, he's breaking the law. Moses said we should stone her. Seems like a no-win situation, right? Yeah. Between a rock and a hard place. And, of course, he answers it talking about rocks. Verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. You see? But Jesus stooped down with his and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. We'll come back to that in a minute here once I finish this record. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. How did he do it? How did he come up with the right answer? Well, we'll look at that in just a minute here. So there's Jesus Christ. And they ask him this question that it seems like no matter which way you answer it, you're going to be in trouble. He did something that people sort of read over and don't understand. And the reason why they don't understand it is because it involves one of these Eastern customs, one of these Eastern Orientalisms that the Westerners aren't familiar with. But those from the East understood what he was doing when he stooped down and was writing on the ground. He wasn't just doodling. He wasn't just messing around. In the East, a holy man will do that while he is waiting on revelation, while he is waiting to hear from God. It says that he stooped down and he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. He just shut all of that out. He just shut all of their questions. He shut out the situation. He shut out the storm around him and got quiet and waited for God to tell him what to do. And then he stood up and said, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And they all knew that they couldn't pull that one off, no matter how much they'd like to try to claim it. And so they left. And then he went down and stooped again and asked God, What do I do next? You see, <clears throat> he listened for that still small voice 
But there he was in this situation with all of this noise around him, all of this tension, and he had to just get quiet. Just be still and know that God would show him what to do. When we're in situations, whether it's something of, of immediate danger or some kind of tense situation, something where it's some type of storm around us, we need to calm those storms. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you stay calm in the midst of that kind of wild scenario when everything around you seems to be raging? We're going to look at some keys to how to do that. I'm going to give you five steps to calm the storm. Turn to Luke chapter 6. The first one is to get along with God. In Luke chapter 6, you see that Jesus Christ made a habit of that. In verse 12, it says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. This is on the eve of Jesus Christ making one of the most important decisions he's going to make in his ministry, the choosing of the 12 apostles. Got a lot of disciples, a lot of people that have been coming around. Who are the right people? This is an important thing for him to know. And he wasn't going to just say, well, you know, I like the way that Mike looks, and Jerry, he's a real friendly guy, and Teresa, she's so sweet, so I'll, I'll pick them. It's got to be the right people for that situation, not knowing what they'll face, not knowing that much about them. And so he needs God's guidance. And what does he do? He goes off into a mountain, and he continues all night in prayer. All night long, he prays. Verse 13, And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and he chose twelve whom he named apostles. He needed God's answer in this situation. He needed to be right, and he spent time alone with God and just separated himself. In Mark 1.35, it says, we see another time where it references Jesus Christ, the way that he would get along with God. In 1.35, it says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Before everybody was up, before the day was crowding in on him, he spent time alone with God. And he went out into a solitary place to do it, a place where he could just shut off all the noise of the world. It's great when we can do that. It's great when we can do that. There's some, been so many situations where I faced some big need, and, and I would do that. I'll get off into a place when... When I was in Virginia, I lived on, on near, right across the street from the Long, uh, Long Island Sound, quite a street, uh, the Chesapeake Bay in Norfolk, Virginia, the Chesapeake Bay. And I'd go out on that beach, and I would just walk and talk with God and pray. And If I had the time, I'd tell you a great story about that one. We can't always do that. Sometimes you're in a situation where you can't go out into a mountain or a beach or out for a walk in the woods. When Jesus Christ was in that temple, he couldn't stop and say, okay, I'm going to go to the mountain and then I'll be back and then I'll answer your question. But he just shut it all out. He just shut it all out. 
He stopped and closed off and as though he didn't even hear people. We need to do that. If we can't do it physically, we need to do it mentally. To just close ourselves off and be alone with God. The second thing is to pray with believing. You get alone with God, and then you pray with believing. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, you can read your Bible, but I'm going to give you uh, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible translation of it, just because I think it'll bless you. Philippians 4, 6, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your, present your request to God. Don't worry. Don't worry about anything. What does anything mean? Anything. 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 No matter what it is. No matter how serious it is. And no matter how pressing it is. Don't worry. But in prayer, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 verse 22 says, and all things whatsoever, those are big, broad terms, aren't they? All things whatsoever, anything that you need, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, doing what? Believing ye shall receive. Anything we ask in prayer, believing, we'll receive. So first we get alone with God, and then we pray with believing. And then... In the third place, we stay our minds. Look at Isaiah 26. We stay our minds. And I'll explain that in a minute here. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, the promise is, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace. Perfect calm. Whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. We have to stay our minds on God. What does that mean? Well, I've got these two dogs. They, just the other day, we, I celebrated the fourth year since I brought them home as these little cute puppies who were so much trouble into everything. And, and one of the things that I trained them to do was to stay, to stay. Now, that's such a, a helpful command, stay, because that protects them and it keeps them from being underfoot and being, helps them to be a blessing, to stay. So if I tell them to stay, you know, when I want to feed them, rather than them dancing around and jumping around while I'm trying to feed them, I tell them to stay. And then I calmly go in. I get their food. They're sitting there, stayed. I get their food. I bring it out. I put it down. They're still staying. And then they wait until I say, okay, and then they can go eat. When I take them outside, I do the same thing. They don't have to be on a leash. I can have them in the front yard. I tell them to stay. I can go out to the street to the mailbox, and I know they're not going to follow me and run out into the street and get hit by a car because they stay. Now, that took some work. That took some training. You, know, you don't just do that, stay, and then you trust them to not run out into the road. And you work with them. You work with them. Where... You put them in that, you teach them what stay is, and the second they go to move, you put them right back and you say, stay. If they get excited, you take them back, stay. 
and you build up time. At first, it was just a few seconds, then a minute, then a couple of minutes. Now it can be as long as I, I want them to stay in that position. You teach a dog to stay, and if you do it right, they'll stay. We need to train our minds in that way. To train our minds to stay put on what we wanted to. To not be distracted. You know, that's the worst thing with dogs is they get distracted. Something comes up and they want to run over. Did you see that? Our minds can be distracted with the situations. And there you are. You're trying to you know, believe God, focus on God, trust God. But all those other thoughts want to keep coming in. The guys are still standing over you saying, Moses said, Stoner, what do you say? Answer us, answer us. And you just stay your mind. You're staying your mind on healing, the promise of God's healing. And there's this, all the news that wants to come in and, and instead tell you something different. And you have to bring your mind back and just stay it, stay it. Whatever the situation, you stay your mind. In Psalm 112, in verse 7, it says, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings, of bad news. He won't be afraid of bad news. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is fixed. It's stayed on that, just trusting in the Lord. Look at Psalm chapter 4. We stay our minds on God and focus on Him and how big He is. We magnify the Lord in our minds. Rather than magnifying the situation, rather than thinking about how scary that storm is, we think about how big God is. And think about that. Staying your mind, you know, <clears throat> some of, have, are familiar with the practice that Bishop Pillai taught of using a metronome, and he would set that metronome first really quickly, and every time it clicked, he'd go, you know, God, 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 and then he'd slow it down, God, God, until he could keep his mind just focused on God, and that's a great little exercise. But what I like to do is, staying my mind, I just picture how big God is. I think this is the God that created the heavens and the earth. That storm, he's the one that made that water. He's the one that put this whole earth together. The body, healing, God's the one who made this body and he made it. I just think about how big God is and just focus on his love, his power, his ability, his willingness. In Psalm 4, in verse 4, it says, Stand in awe and sin not. Stand in awe, not in awe of the, the situation. Stand in awe of God, of this is the Almighty God. And sin not. Don't doubt. Don't be afraid. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Commune with your own heart. Talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. Just talk to yourself. And, and again, think about how, what God's done. Think about all the times that he's helped you in the past. Think of those situations where, boy, what am I worried about? Why? I remember that time, that was real scary, but God took care of it. I remember this need, and God took care of it. That's what we do. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness, verse 5, 
and put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in Him. Shut out all that other stuff. Put a muzzle on it. Just put a muzzle on it. Say, shut up. Don't listen to that stuff. Be still and know that I am God. The fourth thing is to let the light in. Look at Psalm 119. Let the light in. Psalm 119 and verse 130, it says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. It's the light of God's word that shines in the darkness of that situation, the darkness of that night. It's his word that gives light. In Psalm 107, in verse 20, in Psalm 107, 20, it says, He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. It's his word that does it. His word that's powerful. It's the word of life. These words are spirit and they're life and they are powerful. And when we think of God's word, then we've got something to use. That's our offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit. In those situations, recall to your mind every relevant scripture that you can think of to that situation. Bring to your mind consciously, not just you know it. Yeah, you know it. Great. But actually, that power of God's Word, think it. Recall those scriptures. You know? And if you don't have a lot in your brain to draw from, well, then carry it with you until you got it in your brain. <laughs> These are little scripture retemories. Now, I've got a lot of scripture in my head. I do. And the way it got there is I deliberately put it there, one way or the other. Sometimes using this, sometimes I'm reading it so much of it, so often it's, it's there. But you've got to do that. Put it in so you've got something to fight with, so you've got something to draw on. I got these. I like this. looks like a pack of cigarettes, doesn't it? <laughs> I used to smoke. Smoke from the time I was 15 until I was 45. So I think I've got it beat by now. Um, you know... But I like that because, you know, that used to be my habit. I'd reach for it. You'd get tense. You'd reach for a cigarette. It was my favorite one. It was the hardest one to, like, not go back to, too, you know? That when you're tense, you want to smoke a cigarette. Well, this one isn't cigarettes, and it's these verses. It's got a little situation on the front, and then on the back, you know, it has something like, be still and know that I am God. That's the one in my hand here. On the front, it says, keep calm and trust God. <laughs> It's better than a cigarette. <laughs> Keep calm and trust God. That'll quiet you down. But we want to have that scripture to draw on and to actually think about the scriptures. Be prepared. Be prepared in different situations. So that, you know, if all of a sudden you lose your job or your business is struggling, that you can have a scripture like Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, I, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Boy, that's good to know. And all of a sudden you are told that the plant's closing down and you'll all be out of a job. <laughs> that's what Mike did when that actually happened. He wrote that song and the next week that, that exact scenario happened to him. So he was prepared. <laughs> On, Monday, On Monday he had a new job. He trusted when, when you hear that you've got some serious illness, you go to the doctor and you get bad news. 
Think about Psalm 103, verse 3, who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Think of those verses and put them in your head and keep on reading them and remembering them. If somebody's opposing you, you know, your boss is giving you a hard time at work, or other people aren't, they're talking, you know, stuff about you. That's the phrase, isn't it? Um, you think of verses like Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is it that would dare say anything about you when it's God's on your side? And if God's for you, who can be against us? When your refrigerator has to be replaced and your dishwasher needs fixing, and your washing machine has to be replaced. That was my week last week, all three. <laughs> that you stay calm. And you think about, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. We have those truths and we call them to our minds and we remember what God said. And then the fifth key is we see then the quiet sea. We see them. We picture it. Look at 2 Kings chapter 6. Put the right picture in your mind. What you want, not what you don't want. See that. Don't picture the situation that's facing you. Shut it out. Instead, picture what you want. Visualize it. Bring forth those believing images of victory. You have to first see it in your mind, and then you'll see it with your eyes. First see it in your mind, and then you'll see it with your mind. We won't turn there, but in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we walk by faith or believing, not by sight. There's a great situation here in 2 Kings 6, where you've got the prophet, this is Elisha, and he and his servant Gehazi, They've, got, they've run in trouble with the king, the king of Israel. And he sends a whole army against these guys. A whole army to come and kill these guys. And one day, Gehazi goes out and he sees this in verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host, that's an army, compassed the city both with horses and chariots. You know, like a tanks, you know, in our day and age, it'd be tanks and guns, and there you're surrounded. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Holy smokes, we're in trouble now. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Gehazi was probably thinking, What? There's me? There's you? Okay, I count two, and out there, there's a whole army. I don't know where you learn math, but it doesn't add up to my mind. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. He thought he saw, but he was looking at the wrong thing. He was looking with the senses. Elisha prays that he opens his spiritual eyes. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. See, we can't be deceived by the five senses. 
We can't freak out by what we see. We have to know. We have to see that the power of God that's at our disposal is so much greater than anything in front of us. You know, that's what Bishop Pillai did. He was such a master at that. He, that Eastern culture really trains people to be more spiritually minded. And he was so great, and there's a wonderful book he wrote, Renewing the Mind. We also have that in the bookstore from a camp he did. And, you know, he just, so many times he'd talk to himself, and he'd tell his mind to be quiet. But I'd like to take you back to where we started and go through that same incident and point out to you in that situation when Bishop Pillai arrived to find that all this talk about a place to stay, these Christians that were going to take care of him, that they didn't show up and everybody was ridiculing him and so forth. And what he did in that situation, and we'll see those same five steps that I've just described to you, is what he operated. The first one that we covered was to get along with God. I'll quote from the book. After the boat ride, the train was loading up to take everyone to London. I would not get on it. Everyone was rushing about with passports in order to catch the train. I stood to one side of the harbor praying. Everybody's rushing off. He gets alone with God, stands to one side. And what's he do? The second key, praying. Pray with believing. He continues praying. He says, Lord, I will wait until you open another door for me. There's the second key. He prayed. And then the third key was to stay your mind. Continuing with that record, a policeman came to me and said, this is the last train, you'd better get on it. I didn't say anything to him. I stood there lifting my heart to God. He didn't get distracted. He didn't follow off what that policeman said. He just stayed put mentally and physically. <laughs> and then the fourth one, let the light in. Then I opened my Bible, and my eyes fell on Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. And then the fifth one, See the quiet seas. I said, Lord, I said, Thank you, Lord. I am still. I am not disturbed or afraid. I will not follow what my senses tell me, but I will follow what you tell me. He knew God would have the answer. He was confident. He saw it. And then it closes out with, after arriving in London, I took a taxi from the train station to the people's house, and there I was received with open arms. The Lord opened another door for me, and from there he opened another and another. God provided a way where there, is, where there was no way for Bishop Pillai, and he'll always do that for his people. He will always make a way where there is no way. There's a great song. Um, if I could quickly get it, I'd use it to close out with. But it's a song, God will make a way where there is no way. And it talks about he'll take the darkest night and it'll come shining as the bright of day. Whatever the situation, no matter what people tell you. And boy, the world will always try to do that. It'll always try to make it look like you've got two choices and neither one are any good. Isn't that what they did with Jesus Christ? But we just stay calm, knowing that God will provide a way, and he'll do it. He'll open a door where there was none, and from there, another and another. We stay calm. 
we trust Him and we walk with Him and see God open the doors for us. God bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.